0: Ladies and gentlemen, welcome to another episode of Studio Canberra, the Australian Grape & Wine podcast. Uh, My name is Lee McLean. I'm the General Manager for Government Relations and External Affairs here at Australian Grape & Wine. And with me, as always, is Tony Badaline, our Chief Executive. How are you, Tony? Very well, thanks, Lee. And a very eventful week, hasn't it? Certainly has been. Um, So we may as well dive straight into it. Um, As you alluded to, we had a really significant announcement with regard to uh, the China investigations into countervailing duties and anti-dumping uh, allegations last week. Um, and unfortunately, it wasn't good news for us. What can you tell us about the announcement?
1: Yeah, so the announcement came out uh, late on Friday, uh, which is typical of China. They put things out lasting on Friday night, seems to maximum inconvenience. So basically, the interim duties that we saw in place have now been made permanent for the next five years. So from the 28th of March, for five years time, uh, maximum duty of 218.4%. Uh, there are some smaller duties for those people who participated in the investigation, but for the
0: great majority
1: of producers, it's at
0: 218.4%. And even for most of those small producers, Tony, uh, that smaller number of producers who had a, a lower duty rate, um, I'm right in assuming that they uh, are fairly prohibitive rates anyway. Well, that's right. All these rates mean that for
1: any bottled wine exports going into China, it's going to be very difficult to be uh, have any sort of competitive aspect to your product. So, we've seen since the interim tariffs came on that imports into China have dropped to zero, and that will continue, I think, for the next five years unless we we see some dramatic change.
0: Yeah, I'd agree with that assessment. Unfortunately, um, and it's a really disappointing outcome, as you said, because. Um, I know both of us have uh, been heavily involved in this process, along with a number of companies around Australia. And I know that we've all engaged in the, the Chinese process uh, in good faith and, and been as collaborative and cooperative as possible. Uh, but nonetheless, we are in this situation. And uh, unfortunately, it's uh, it's going to take a little while for it to resolve. Um, now, I know it's early days in the process uh, now, Tony, but, but what are the next steps for us? What, what options are available to us uh, moving forward? I guess there's two aspects to this, Lee. The first is how we react
1: to the China decision and what we do in response. And the second one is how we, do, how we create new markets and diversify so that we can actually go on and continue to be a great industry like we have now. So on the first, there's a number of options open to us. We can take judicial, judicial action in China. So that means basically a court case. There is an administrative process we can take Uh, There's always the ability to go to a number of committees, of the World Trade Organization, or probably the most serious of those is the World Trade Organization dispute settlement process itself. And that's the route that the barley industry has just gone down. On the other aspect of market diversification, uh, there was a grant announced at the beginning of December of around seventy-two million dollars, which was to help AusTrade uh, and various industries bodies work, walk forward on market access issues, and also on promotional activities.
0: Yeah, so I know on both of those those issues, the the diversification uh, side of the side of the uh, argument, and the uh, for us in terms of a uh, in terms of uh, appeals and the like. I know we're we're both working on those at the moment. Particularly on the on the issues around next steps we may wish to take in terms of um, taking uh, actions in China or, or multilaterally. I know that's something that we're considering over the coming coming weeks uh, with our board and and others in the sector, along with the Australian government as well. And I know we've had a couple of really good meetings with Minister T and Minister Little Proud in particular to run through those uh, run through those options and and what might be best for for both the industry and for the the Australian government as a whole. Um, so I guess we've sort of talked a little bit about some of those, those big picture issues about next steps the industry and the government can take. I just want to take a, 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 take a microscope, I guess, and, and have a, a bit more of a look at how this is going to impact on a grower in the Riverina or the Riverland or wherever it might be, or a winemaker, or indeed anyone else along the supply chain. You know, we've got bottlers, we've got packaging companies and all that sort of thing out there. I mean, it's a big hit for us as we know, how do you sort of see it in the short term and then in the medium to long term playing out for the sector?
1: Yeah, thanks Lee. And I'll, I'll bring out my crystal ball for some of this because uh, some of it, we just don't know. Uh, we can make our best judgment based on the available information. So immediately we've been lucky in a way we've had a couple of low vintages in a row. So the stock supply balance, it means that we're, we're well down on stocks. So a lot of ours, regions were actually ran out of wine this year. So one of the advantages is we're going from a period where we haven't got high supplies so that we're gonna have a pretty good vintage this year. Uh, If anyone wants my prediction, it's 1.85 million tonnes. So I'll put it out there. Uh, But it means that what we've seen is already a reduction in price, in grape prices. So it's red wine principle that goes into China. So it's in a ten to fifteen percent reduction in price. But what, more importantly, what we'll see towards the end of the season is the spot price for wine. So uncontracted fruit that's likely to come under a lot of pressure as people are uncertain about markets and unwilling to commit to buying it until the price goes right down. So I think we'll see a bit of immediate pressure on some growers this year. Uh, wineries, uh, again, domestically focused wineries will still go okay, but on the export market. It's a very crowded export market and certainly we've been growing those export markets and in the immediate term, we've seen some really good growth in the UK, seen some green shoots in the US. Uh, we've seen some good prospects there, but it's a, it's a pretty tough ask. So a, a lot more pressure will come on next year, I think. And that's what I'm really worried about is where we, we know the situation. It depends how well we can react to it and grow those markets this year, Lee. So there's going to be a bit of some tight times. There's no doubt. Uh, we've got a whole cohort of people who've grown up to export to China, around 1,000 producers, that's all they do. Uh, they'll obviously be under a lot of pressure.
0: Yeah, and I suppose as an industry body and as a government, um, government minister, I mean, that that really does bring into very sharp focus uh, the importance of getting on with the job of trying to build some of those alternative markets and breaking down some of the trade barriers that we have in in some of those emerging markets in particular. Um, and, and I guess aside from the export market, Tony, I assume we're looking at, at ways to help uh, drive some further growth in the domestic market as well. And for me, something that I've spoken about on this podcast previously and and, and indeed in conversations with, with ministers and government departments here in Canberra is um, I'm really keen to do as much as we can to, to help governments and regional associations and state associations to boost uh, regional wine tourism as much as we can. We, we know we saw a really big boost um, throughout uh, 2020, uh, as people couldn't travel overseas anymore, and they, you know, fairly often travelled to a uh, a one, many, many of whom travelled there for the first time. So we would really want to try to capture that as best we can. And it's something we've raised in our, our pre-budget submission and elsewhere. But is is that is um that one of the key sort of focuses for you in 2021, Tony? Oh, yes, it is indeed. So the
1: domestic market is so important to us. And one of the side impacts of COVID was that domestic tourism has really boomed. People want to get out, they want to buy local and they want to go local. And they're two really important parts for our sector. So that's been really important. And I think we need to work to grow on that. Um, Minister Tian, he's not only the trade minister, but the tourism minister. So when I talked to him on Saturday about the China issue, one of the things we discussed was the potential to increase domestic tourism. Uh, He's very interested in looking at all possible options to do that. We've certainly seen Tourism Australia pivot towards domestic tourism. So there's going to be some real opportunities there. We've seen some state investment in it. But for us, it's trying to grow that domestic market. and, And, you know, there's a lot of imports coming in domestically. There's no reason why we can't take some of that back. But we want to get people out to the regions. We want them spending money
0: and we want them buying premium wine. Indeed, and and with Easter coming up, uh, I'd certainly be encouraging anyone who's keen to visit a wine region to jump in the car and and go and visit one of our fantastic regions around Australia. Just make sure when you do, you drink responsibly and make sure you've got a designated driver for the day as well to uh, make sure everyone stays safe and and healthy throughout the trip. Um, So speaking of of wine regions as well, just to pivot away from that conversation a little bit, Tony. um, we know that a lot of regions around the country and in particular in New South Wales had an enormous amount of rain over the last week or so. Um, I know you've had a few discussions with some uh, some winemakers out there. How's this sort of impacted on on the vintage as a whole in Australia and in particular in some of those some of those regions that have been most heavily affected?
1: Yeah I think we've dodged a bullet with the rain to a large extent obviously some individual producers have got hit more than others but certainly we've found that most, most people have had most of their fruit off before the rain came. Uh, uh, certainly in the, the Riverina, yeah, they've taken a bit of a hit, but it's going to be a good vintage there. They managed to get a lot of the fruit off. They had early rain as well in, in the Riverina, uh, certainly in the Hunter most people seem to have got their reds off in time. So um, I'm optimistic that we haven't had too much damage. Um, Canberra region could be a little bit different. I haven't had any reports from there, but I know we had a lot of rain uh, and it's still quite early in the vintage there. So um, I, think, I think we'll get through it okay. I think it's going to be a big vintage again, as I said. Not, not And I think you know it's going to be magnificent quality. That slower ripening season we've had, I think, will be fantastic for
0: quality. Indeed. And, uh, and certainly hope for those businesses that might've been affected, that the damage hasn't been too bad. And I know that there's been a huge effort put in by a number of companies around the place to, to get that fruit off before that, that really significant rain event hit. So there was some, uh, some sleepless nights uh, for many winemakers and viticulturalists out there without question. Um, so look, Tony, we might wrap it up there, I reckon. Uh, and as usual, we'll talk about what we're going to enjoy this weekend for me Given Easter is all about indulging in something a little bit sweet, I'm going to go for a Botrytis semion from Peter Lehman. What about you? Well, it's interesting. I had a very good
1: discussion with the Georgian ambassador during the week. Uh, A Lovely bloke, really nice fellow. And we were talking about some of those great Georgian varieties. And Saparavi is one of the ones that sprung to mind. Now, we grow some great Saparavis in Australia. There's some from Ballandina State up at the Granite Belt. But also um, there's a little winery called uh, Mary Hamilton Owns down in the McLaren Vale, and it is a fabulous saparavi. So that's what I've got this weekend. I'm going a little bit Georgian, a little bit Australian and having a McLaren Vale saparavi. That sounds fantastic.
0: Well, whatever you enjoy, make sure you enjoy it in moderation with food and family and your friends, and we will catch up with you next time on the podcast. Thanks, Tony. Yeah, thank you. And everyone, have a great Easter. Uh, Stay safe.